So I've got this pair of reading glasses that I must have sat on or whatever. It's one of the, it's just a real wiry thing. And they're permanently damaged and they're like crooked on me. And so we are, we have this vision insurance that allows me to get free prescription readers. And so we were on our way to a friend's house last night and I asked Alice, I said, honey, she's got an appointment. I said, make an appointment before the end of the year. I want to get those readers. We get to the place. We have this wonderful time with them. And when we're leaving, he has got these brand new readers that his wife got for him that, that don't, don't work for him. And he's like, do you by any chance need readers? And I'm just like, God, you are so good. This is amazing. So I take it out of the thing and I put them on and yep, I can see better. I didn't actually take time to read something, but I, I could tell they were, they were really helping. And I'm like, this is amazing. And so I get home last night and I put these readers on my Bible and I throw those other readers away. I'm just so happy that I'm done with them. So I get up this morning, I'm having my quiet time. Got my new readers on, they fit perfectly. I'm having a little trouble reading the words. Just, I'm straining a little bit, but these are the, these are the readers that I want. These are, these fit. And I, I get done with my Bible reading, I'm doing devotions, and I'm like, I'm gonna just check. And so I go back to the trash can. <laughs> get those readers out, and I sit back down, and oh my, I can see again. Everything's clear. And it turns out that the point when you want to see is not how those glasses look on you to other people. It's not how comfortable they are on you. It's about seeing. And this morning's service, I have a message that's right from heaven. I, I, I try to every week, but this one, and I think... When I'm done sharing it, you will believe that God spoke today. We need to see, especially in this day, because it's not about us being comfortable and it's not about us looking good to other people. It it is about seeing him. It is about seeing clearly what God is doing, what God is saying, so that we don't get caught up in the deception of this day. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We are in a series called Uniquely Luke. We're almost done. There's two, this is message and next week will be the last ones. These are passages that are only found in the book of Luke. They're stories, parables, whatever, only in Luke's gospel. And so we've gone all the way through them this year. Here we are, we're now in Luke chapter 23. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. 
The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. Then they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great, great love for everyone in this room, everybody watching online. You love us. Lord, would you come with your truth and your fire and your spirit and let us see clearly spiritual truth. Break all deception. Burn away deception. Give us ISAF to see correctly today. Please, in your great mercy, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this guy, his name is Herod Antipas, and he is a cautionary tale. He is one of the only people in the Bible that God has stopped speaking to. He is plying Jesus with many questions, and Jesus is absolutely silent. The title of the message today is When God Stops Speaking. As I speak this message today, I do not want you to get in your mind people that you think God has stopped speaking to, like my children or my parents or my workmate or Putin or this, this is not about anybody else. This is about you and it, it, it's about God making sure that you and I don't end up in a place where he's no longer speaking to us. Is that fair? All right, so point one is who was Herod. Um, Luke tells us in Luke chapter three, one and two, that he was the tetrarch of Galilee when John the Baptist began his ministry. This whole thing with Herod is very confusing because when Jesus was born, there's a Herod. He is king, he was called King Herod. When he died, he left his kingdom to his three sons, Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. Archelaus was an, what's called an ethnarch, he, which means half. He was in charge of half of the kingdom. He was over Judea. Then we have two tetrarchs. Tetrarch means one-fourth. Antipas got to rule over one-fourth of the kingdom, and his region was Galilee, where Jesus' ministry was, and Philip also got a fourth of the kingdom. Now, here's what made it very confusing. All three of them took his name. So it was Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Herod Philip. So that's why this thing gets very confusing. So here's what happened. Archelaus, who was in Judea, who's over half of the kingdom, was a disaster. He was oppressive. He was very, very unpopular. And so the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, appealed to Rome for Rome to send a procurator. They sent a guy named Quirinius. It was at that time that, that Judea came under the direct 
supervision of Rome. Up until that point, they were a client kingdom. Judea is way on the edge of the Roman Empire, and what they like to do, instead of having to supervise them directly, they would place their guy in charge, and they would just accept tribute from them, but they would self-rule. They would self-govern as long as they were loyal to Rome and paid the tribute. They didn't want to supervise, but because of this request, Quirinius comes, and the first thing he does is in, in 6 AD is he has a taxation and it leads to a rebellion and all kinds of trouble. He is the first procurator of Rome in Judea. The fifth is a guy named Pontius Pilate. He's the famous one. He's the one that we all know about. He's the one that's in these stories. He ruled from 26 to 36 AD. So Antipas is a tetrarch in Galilee. Pilate is also ruling. What's happening in, in our text is it's the trial of Jesus. And he comes to Pilate, and Pilate finds out he's a Galilean. Well, it is the time of Passover. During Passover, everybody came to Jerusalem. Herod Antipas has a palace in Jerusalem. When he finds out that he's from Galilee, Pilate is like, this is an answer to my dilemma. See, it, the, the procurator wanted to keep as much peace as possible. If there is trouble in Judea, it's gonna reflect poorly on him. So he works with the Sanhedrin. He works with the Pharisees and the Sadducees to try to keep peace. And so Jesus is brought before him. This is a horrible dilemma. He knows it's about jealousy. He doesn't think he, and, and then he hears he's from Galilee. Oh my, this is the answer to all my troubles. I'll send them to Herod. Herod can deal with this problem where there is no win. Well, this is the only gospel that tells this little interlude where he goes over to Herod. The other three, the other two synoptic, actually all three of them, the synoptics and John, all just tell about Pilate. But this one tells about Herod and we have this experience where Jesus will not speak to somebody that he loved, somebody that he died for? Why would Jesus ever stop speaking to a human being? We get Herod's whole story from Mark chapter six. You have to actually go outside of scripture to get some of the facts about him. The guy that wrote it about that time was uh, the Jewish historian Josephus. We get a lot of information from him. He tells us that Herod Antipas married the daughter of the Arabian king Aretas. And Philip, his brother, married this woman named Herodias. Well, he went to visit, her, visit his brother Philip and had an adulterous relationship with Philip's brother, his wife, Herodias, and then they decided they wanted to be together. So he divorced his wife, Philip divorced his wife, and they ended up in this very unholy union. Mark 6, 17, 28, succinctly tells the whole story. Herod had given orders to have John, the, John and this is John the Baptist, arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. 
For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask for me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. Herod Antipas was a religious man to the end. He was still curious and about religious things. But he gave into his, li- into his lusts. He gave into his fears. And he ended up in a place that I'm calling spiritual desolation. So point two is the path to spiritual Desolation. First, we're going to talk about Herod's path, then we can talk about ourselves. So here is the path to spiritual desolation. Luke 13, 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow And the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, your children, together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, Your house is left to you desolate. The longing in the heart of God is to gather you and me close to himself. But it's not just me and you, it's everybody. This is his longing for Herod Antipas. He wants to gather him. He he longs to gather him under his wings, to know him intimately. Herod commits adultery. So God sends a prophet to him. The prophet comes and, and brings the word of the Lord. He, it's not lawful, and, and, and this is Leviticus, this is Deuteronomy. What you're doing is unlawful. It's put you in a wrong place with God. He is bringing the word of the Lord. He is sent by God to Herod Antipas in, in an act of mercy to confront him for what is known obvious sin so that he can repent. But instead of repenting, He puts him in prison. Now, folks, there is a history of this in the Bible. There's a history of this in humanity. When somebody tells us what we don't want to hear, 
we make them the problem. So, so, we, so we have this with King Asa. King Asa, he's this king that pleases God. He has this early victory where God delivers him from these armies and it's amazing and every, everybody's worshiping God and it, it's just amazing. And then he becomes strong and he becomes rich and he, he has a, a bunch of armies and then the exact same situation happens again. He gets attacked by other armies. The Bible says instead of calling on God, he hires another army to help, and it works. That, that, that Israel wins, and, and they're okay, and everything's good. Uh, but then this prophet, Hanani, comes to him and says, you've sinned against God. He said, God's eyes search to and fro over the whole earth to, to, to show himself strong through those whose hearts are his. God wanted to show himself strong. God wanted to do a miracle uh, to, to save you and deliver you just like he did it in the past. And, and, uh, but, but you've given in to pride. Asa, Asa's the king. Who's this little punk think he is anyway? Telling the king what to do. Put him in prison. So Hanani goes to prison. The Bible says, shortly after that, King Asa got a foot disease and he refused to ask God for help with his foot disease. He, he sought doctors, but he refused to help God and he died of a foot disease. Folks, you don't die of a foot disease, but things don't go well when God is against you. So it happens again. Ahab, Ahab wants to go to war. He gets Jehoshaphat with him, who is the Judean. Ahab's Israel, Jehoshaphat's Judah. It's when the kingdom was divided. But Jehoshaphat says, yes, I'll go to war with you, but let's hear what the prophets say first. So Ahab's got all of these prophets of Baal, and they are all prophesying victory. This is going to be awesome. You're amazing. Da, 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 da. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And Jehoshaphat's like, you know, I appreciate all of that encouragement could we hear from a prophet of God? Ahab's like, well, there is one left. His name is Micaiah. He said, but I don't like him. He never says anything good about me. And Jehoshaphat says, you really shouldn't say that. They call for Micaiah. Micaiah says, after a little dialogue, if you go to war, you will die. Ahab says, see, I hate this guy. Put him in prison. And here's what, here's what Micaiah says. He goes to prison and he says this as he's going to prison. If you come back alive, then God has not spoken to me. So Ahab gets a plan. The king always goes out before his army in royal robes. And uh, Ahab decides to disguise himself. Now the other army has got orders only to kill King Ahab. This isn't about the whole army, it's just about Ahab. And so they see Jehoshaphat coming in his kingly things, and they're about to shoot at him, and Jehoshaphat's yelling, I'm, I don't. And they're like, that's, that's not our guy. Where is he? Where is Ahab? So one of the guys in the army, in the, in the opposing army, just takes an arrow like this, and goes boop, and just lets it fly. And it goes, and here's Ahab in disguise, and it goes right in between his army, armor, and boop, and he starts bleeding, and by the time night time has come, he dies. You never want to be against the truth. So here's what it says about Antipas. 
about all of us, about all of the leaders of Israel, God says, I sent a prophet to you. I sent. I long to gather you. I want you close. I want you under my wings. I want you to know my warmth, know my protection, know my intimacy. I long for it. And because I did, I sent prophets to you. And so John the Baptist was sent for Antipas, but he imprisoned him. But isn't isn't God something? Even though he's committed adultery, broken the law, even though he is imprisoned, God's prophet, the God sent to him, God starts moving in his heart. He starts going down to listen to John the Baptist. He's like, his heart is being warmed by the Holy Spirit. I like this guy. I'm puzzled by him because he's living in a very different way than I'm living, but he liked hearing John the Baptist. But then something happened. Herod's lust got him in trouble again. First time it's with Herodias, now it's with her daughter who does this dance. And he is pulled in, he's inflamed, and he makes this foolish oath, I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. And of course, Herodias says, John the Baptist had. And now he's got a choice. Not only does he have a choice, folks, we all have a choice. Because he's going to look really bad in front of these important people, these nobles, these military leaders. He's made a public promise. And he's going to look really, really bad if he doesn't follow through on his promise. So he has to decide, is this going to be about my appearance and me saving face? Or is it about God's opinion? He has to make a decision. And in that critical time, he decides to have John beheaded, and killed. And at that point, I believe something happened in the spirit that hardened his heart before God, where Jesus himself would call him a fox, someone who just uses religion to manipulate, to try to get his own way, but has no desire to follow or serve God. So today's proverb, I do the one-year Bible, guys. Every day, I don't choose where I'm going to read. It's chosen for me. I just, today's December 3rd. I go to December 3rd and I read whatever December 3rd is. Here is today's proverb. December 3rd, Proverbs 29, verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. God will speak God will discipline, God will woo, God will draw you, even though you've done this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, he's continuing to draw you, but there comes a time when God takes your final answer, and there's no longer a remedy where God stops speaking. So I wrote a a devotional, it was really over 12 years, I I wrote a, a, a weekly little thought to the congregation and in 2020 during the sabbatical I made it into a 365 day devotional called One Thing and it's all of my times God's given me stuff and so I always try to get something fresh but I also bring out of those old treasures every day I will read my own devotional to find out what what God has spoken in the past so this morning it's just another day December 3rd this is this morning's devotional I'm going to read it to you it's called an inconvenient truth 
Here's the verse. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while on the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. Here's my comments. In 2006, Al Gore released a documentary on global warming called An Inconvenient Truth, urging us to do something to make changes in the environment before it's too late. It's not just about us, he urged. It's about the world we're giving to our children. While I'm all for stewardship of the earth and reducing carbon emissions, emissions, there's another inconvenient truth that troubles me way more than global warming. It's the final judgment. It turns out that our lives on this planet will one day appear like vapor in light of eternity, and that the choices we're making now determine how our judgment will go then. To live in light of that day is to know the fear of the Lord. To live ignoring our accountability to God is reckless and dangerous. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31 says, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is, it is terrifying to be completely unprepared for our judgment day. Here's the inconvenient truth that must be told. Jesus came the first time as a lamb to save the world. But he's coming the second time as a lion to judge it. I want to be ready for that day, and I want to persuade others to be ready as well. Let's change our lives now. Let's serve God now. And let's seek his presence now before it's too late. Jesus took God's judgment on sin when he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Let's make our identity in him and receive his love now instead of being exposed by his holiness, then. It's today. I can't set this stuff up, guys. This is God speaking. This is how God speaks. He brings lots of things together. The Jewish reader, leadership reached a point where only judgment was in their future. Here's, here's Luke 19, 42. Jesus is weeping as he says this. He comes into Jerusalem and he is weeping over the people that he loves, over the people that he died for. And here's what he says. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He ends this passage by saying, you missed the day of your visitation. There was a time that you could respond, but that time is now gone. The tragedy of this and the reason why he's weeping is he sees the future. He sees the judgment that's going to come. And he says not one stone is going to be left upon another about the temple. And there's going to be an absolute destruction. And he says you guys are going to be trapped in the city. And here's what breaks my heart. You and your children. How we respond to God affects our children. You know what it says in Proverbs 20, 14, 26? It says... In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and a refuge for your children. When you fear God, when you choose God, when you choose God's opinion and live in light of it, it affects everybody around you and everybody that is following after you. So uh, people ask me from time to time, Tom, you're all about revival and awakening. What is exactly does that look like? And of course, I don't really know, but 
the most powerful demonstration of revival I've seen was not in Pensacola or Toronto. I've been to both of those revivals and those were amazing, but that's not the most powerful evidence of revival that I've ever seen. It was in 1996, the summer of 1996, at Sand Hill Lake Bible Camp. Here's what happened. I was, I was in charge of leading worship that week. Shane, who now pastors in Alaska, he was my youth pastor then, he was, he was called the camp pastor, and our speaker that we were bringing that week is a guy named Brian White. Brian is an overseeing elder of this church, and Brian is a very serious guy, and he hears from God, and I'm like, you know, this, this could work. This could work. Bringing Brian. It's the first night of camp. Brian starts speaking, and I'm like, this is an absolute disaster. I, I've been in camps for years. I, I was the camp pastor, worship leader. I'm involved with camps. The first night, the speaker gains rapport with the teenagers. He tells funny stories. He, he relates to them. People like him. And then it gets more serious as the week goes on. There's a, there's a message the first night. There's a truth. But everybody leaves feeling like, wow, this, is, this guy's cool. Brian starts speaking, and I'm like, this was the worst decision of my life. This, it was the hardest message I'd ever heard given to youth. And it was so quiet. The, the, the message was, about, it was called hitting the rock. And it was, it was from Moses in the, in the desert when, when they needed water in the desert. God told him to strike the rock. And so he struck the rock and water come, came forward. Well, again in the wilderness, they got thirsty again and there was no water. And God says to Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses is frustrated and he's angry at how much the people are complaining, and he's a little filled with himself, and he says, do we have to bring water for you from this rock? And instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock, and nothing happens. No water comes out. This is God's time of mercy. Moses now can repent. Aaron, who heard the command himself, can now say to Moses, hey, dude, uh, God said speak. Don't hit it. Don't hit the rock, Moses. Don't hit the rock again. Speak to the rock. This is our chance. But Moses hits it a second time. And when he hits it a second time, the water pours for the people, and God speaks to Moses. And he says, you and Aaron are not going into the promised land. I will be treated holy by those who draw near. And so here was the word of the Lord from Brian White. He said, God, God told me this, that many of you in this place have already struck the rock the first time. You are in a brief window right now of the mercy of God. Judgment is about to strike your life. And God is made an opportunity for you to repent. Guys, it was terrible. It was people, the kids just wanted to go home. <laughs> kids were calling their mom. We found kids out smoking. Just get me off, get me off of this ground. I do not want to be here anymore. I came for fun and games and not for this. The next morning, Brian speaks a message on the mercy of God. <laughs> These kids start flooding 
the altars. The repentance was so deep. Brian said, Is, does anybody want to give a testimony? Folks, I've never seen anything like this. The kids lined up. We're not, the morning chapel is short. We, we have sports in the morning. We have, we've got teams. We're, we just do a little chapel and then we have our game time. There was no game time. There was no sports. These kids wanted to testify. They were lined up on both sides. Now, here's the crazy thing. It wasn't just that day. We never had sports the whole week. These kids, the evening service would go till past midnight. These kids didn't want to leave. They're, they're worshiping, they're dancing. It was, it, there was such a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We never had sports. No one asked about it because God was in these. Every service, every morning service, these kids would line up to testify. They wanted to say the sin that they had been in and how God had changed them. And, what, and I, I'd, never, I'd never seen anything like it. God's desire is to gather us close when he brings a strong message of warning. He is sending someone to you for your sake. Guys, I I, I believe with all of my heart that this morning's message is for some of you. You've already struck the rock once. You've already committed adultery. You've already been angry and imprisoned people who spoke the truth to you. Who do they think they are anyway? Self-righteous Christians. I'm not doing anything worse than anybody else. Watch out, folks. Watch out. This is the mercy of God in this room right now. He is speaking. He is calling. So here's my last point. How to lead a desolation-proof life. This is a life that listens to God first. To listen to God's voice in his written word. Here's John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You and I need this book. This is a revelation of God to us. We need to expose ourselves to it regularly. That's why I wrote a devotional, because it's got something from the Bible and a little story every day. I want you, I want this congregation exposed to the word of God, to be reading the word of God, exposing ourselves to the word of God. Now here's his promise. He says, you're a disciple, you're only a disciple if you continue in my word, if, if you're just trying to get a one-time prayer and I'm saved, um, you, you, you might be a believer, but you're not a disciple. To be a disciple, you need to commit yourself to following this word. Now, there, this is so interesting. If your life is in contradiction to what the word of God says, instead of getting mad at God and getting mad at the Bible, continue on with the word. The word has power to change you. It will eventually set you free. You stay with the word, even though you're living a contradiction to what that word says. But, but God, uh, God, here's what your word says. Here's my life. Here's my desires. Here's what your word says should be my desire. They're two different things. But God, I'm, staying, I'm not going to put anybody in prison. I'm not going to get angry at people. I, I'm, I'm going to stay with your word. I'm not going to get offended with you. But here's where we are right now. And Jesus is like, stay with it. You stay with that word. You stay with that word. You get it inside of you. The word of God has power to change you. 
to change your desires, to change the way you're going. His word, when he speaks, light comes into darkness. When he speaks, order comes into chaos. God can change you. Do not say he can't change you. God can change anything. He is God. That's one. Listen to God's voice first in his written word. Secondly, listen to God's voice through his people. Here is Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Church was God's idea. Guys, us just getting around each other softens us. God has, he sent someone. I sent people to speak to you. God sends people. He sends prophets to you. Well, they don't look like prophets. That looks like my grandma. <laughs> yeah, that is your grandma. How many know the word of the Lord can be in grandma's mouth for you? That, that doesn't look like the word of the Lord. That looks like some self-righteous Christian. Watch out. God can use anything. God can speak through anybody. Why? Because why? Because he's mad at you? No, because he wants to. You're getting hard. One of, one of the strategies of the enemy through COVID was to get us isolated from each other, to to get us to stop meeting together, stop being with each other. There's something dynamic that happens just being together. Right now, today, I am the quote prophet sent to you to soften your heart, to just get you softer. God wants. God loves you. God wants to gather you. And if you're going the wrong direction, stop. Turn around. Isn't it amazing that we have opportunities to do this? Thank you, Jesus. And lastly, listen to God's voice in your circumstances. The whole, your whole life is around listening and responding to God. In his written word, in his people, listening for him through his people, and then in your circumstances. In the first service, I talked about the discipline of the Lord in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and God's discipline is not just correction, it's training. Sometimes we need to be trained to how to go the right way, and so endure hardship and things God brings in. His heart is, is, is not is for your healing, for your holiness. He brings difficult things that you can't deal with so that you can be exposed, you can deal with things, and he can heal you. And the Bible says um, in Hebrews 12, 13, don't allow your bad response to, to, to disconnect you because that came for you to be healed. Don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly, it says, don't just, what's going on in your life, don't just, you know, that's just coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. No, if everything's going wrong, maybe God's speaking. Well, God, what are you saying? Listen, don't take it lightly, nor be discouraged by it. Don't, don't be like, God hates me, God's against me, all this stuff's going on. No, God loves you, God delights in you. Discipline's coming because he delights in you. And, and the enemy wants to get you on the disabled list. It says, this came not for you to be disabled, which happens if you respond the wrong way, but it came for your healing. In the first service, I did not, I forgot to give one of my scriptures, which is Job 33, 14. I'm gonna read it to you. For God does speak now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. 
I had a guy between services. He said, Pastor Tom, that was such a great message. I'm still praying that God will speak to me and that I have not hardened my heart. And I wrote right back to him. I said, dude, God is speaking. The fact that you liked the message, God spoke to you. I, it, was, it was through a person, but listen, that is God. When you have an expectation of what it's going to look like for God to speak to me, you're going to miss God speaking to you in ordinary, regular things. God is speaking. He can speak through dreams. He can speak through your circumstances. He can speak directly in his word. He can speak a number of ways, though people don't perceive it. What, what did Jesus say? He said, I was here. You guys missed your visitation because you, you didn't expect it to be like this, and so you missed it, but I was here. I, I, I was giving you everything that would give you peace, that would bring you in a right relationship, but you couldn't hear because it wasn't the way you thought God would do it. We need to have lives of listening. Listen to your life, and it will speak to you. God will use it to speak to you. I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to have communion, but I'm going to tell this story as they're coming. So years ago now, we, we, for our missions week, we went on a bus. Alice and I went with all the missionaries, and we went with a bus to this horse farm that teaches spiritual truth through horses. And the lady that leads it, her name is Elaine. They used to do it here. Now she's somewhere else doing the same thing. Mary Jo is actually doing some of this as well. It's amazing. And here was our little thing. We, she said, I'm going to... So she's got this huge arena, and then inside of the arena is a smaller pen, and she says to us, she's got a headphone on just like this. So she's wearing this thing. She's talking to us. And she says, uh, I am about to let a horse in here that has never seen me before, never met me before. And I want you guys to be absolutely quiet and just watch and observe what happens and see what God might teach you through it. So she, she's got her headset on, and she starts talking to that horse before it even gets into the pen. She's talking to the horse, and horse does not want to go in the pen. Mary Jo is leading the horse into the pen, and the pen gets shut, and that horse is very upset. And she's got this little guiding stick that you just, you try to lead a horse with, and and the horse is having none. Wherever she puts that stick, the horse going the other way. Horse starts running one way, and she'll put the stick up, running the other way, running, 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 running. And, and she's talking the whole time, and she follows it. Everywhere that horse goes, she's just like this, and she's talking, and she never raises her voice. She's just gently talking to the horse. And then something very scary happens. Elaine, it wasn't scary for Elaine. It was terrifying for me. The horse charges her comes into the middle and snorts really loud. I don't like you. I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> and, then, and then it goes back to its running and, and Elaine just, keep, just absolutely calm. And then Elaine talks to us. He says, now the horse is getting tired of going nowhere. Watch what's gonna happen. And all of a sudden this horse stops, goes to the middle and bows its head. And Elaine puts his her hand and starts rubbing the, 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 the mane of this horse. And she says, now watch this. This horse is now gonna follow me everywhere I go. And she keeps talking to us and she walks around the pen and that horse just follows her, just like this. So she asks us, what, what, is, what does this mean? What, what is God speaking? And, and here's what became just really clear to me. That the pen is, is artificial 
and it represents our circumstances, that God sets up these circumstances that makes us feel really trapped and very angry and frustrated, and, and, but it's, it's, it's actually artificial. They, the only reason that pen is there is to develop relationship. It's all about this relationship. And that, that he's waiting for us to get tired. He's waiting for us. Are you tired of going your own way? Are you tired of doing your own thing? Are you, are, are you gonna try to get joy out of something else? Are you gonna try to comfort yourself in another way? I'm waiting, I'm right here, and he's talking, and he's got his eye on you. And he's just like, are you ready? 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 And the circumstances themselves, and I don't, I don't wanna minimize people's pain, but they're really artificial. It's really not about what you're going through. It's about the relationship that's being developed. And then, this week, as I'm planning on telling the story, something else occurs to me. Oh my, the arena is artificial. The arena is something made by people. This whole world is artificial. The, the, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the economy, all of that stuff that we're living in, it seems so real to us, but the Bible says this. What is a prophet a man to gain the whole world and forfeit us all. Here, here's what John says. Do not love the world or the things in the world for everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful part of life are passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So guys, this is all about our relationship with him. He has set up everything because he loves you and he wants to draw you, and he wants to have you under his wings. So here's the final thing, because we have to take communion. God's end game is not you bowing down and following him around. His end game is you and him being in union, where he, he can ride you, and out of the pen, out of the arena, for all eternity. Union with God for all eternity. That's the end game that he's trying to establish now.